Welcome to the New Zealand Tech Podcast, presented by Paul Spain and guests. Greetings and welcome along to the New Zealand Tech Podcast. This is episode 291. I'm Paul Spain. I'm Nate Dunn. Welcome along, Nate. Great to have you back on the New Zealand Tech Podcast. Thanks for having me. It's good to be back. Good to be back. How's uh, how's business? How's life in your world of technology at 3Bit? Uh, good. Busy, busy as always. Uh, things are ticking over. And then uh, as we were talking about just before we started, we've got the... Uh, Gather Unconference that's coming up in a couple of weeks. So we, in a, another life, I also own a cafe called Tuiana Cafe and we're the main coffee and food caterers for the Gather Unconference, which is happening out in Ormston College out in East East Tamaki or South Auckland. Um, and so, yeah, we ramp up right for that. Um, so, yeah, that's coming up pretty quick. So that keeps me busy as well. That's good. That's good. Um, yeah, there's always, there's always a good, um, well gathering for for want of another word but it's uh, sold out isn't it already it yeah it sells out normally very very quickly and i know a lot of people are quite interested in it so i'll often tweet and retweet uh their links that they've got when they open up registration but yeah even before uh we had the cafe and i started or the staff started catering for that um unconference i i think i went three times and then i presented a couple of times actually as well so yeah no it is good and if you haven't um had a chance to go together i'd suggest um getting on the waiting list um so if a few people as inevitably people do they um situations change so you could get in on that or even just tee it up for this time next year i highly recommend going yeah definitely well let's jump into what's happening in the tech world for the week. First up, there was a, a little launch event uh, last week for Philips Hue, the second generation of the Philips uh, Hue lighting system, which of course is a, a lighting system that you're able to control from your smartphone. You're also able to tie it into other uh, third-party systems. So a friend of mine, uh, Cliff Ravenscraft in the US, he uses it in his podcast studio. So he does broadcasting, he does video and all sorts of bits and pieces in there. And he's able to uh, to talk to his Amazon Echo and tell it to turn lights up and down and, and oh, on and cool. off from uh, from across the, the room. Of course, he could pull a smartphone out of the pocket and uh, and control it that way as well, but it just gives him another way to be able to control that stuff. You can control through if this, this, then that. There's a whole range of ways that you can actually tie these things together. You can link them down to what the, what the sun's doing. As the sun goes down, you can... Uh, turn your lights on. You can have things uh, set up so that you might change the the brightness and and or the the type of color, white or or otherwise uh, variation that uh, that the lights are actually outputting um, because they've got full color lights as well as your uh, just your standard uh, white white lights. Um, so yeah, that's quite cool. Now one of the questions that I was uh, tweeted when that was on, so the little. Um, a little Facebook uh, live video, as I sometimes do from these things. One of the questions I was asked is, do these light bulbs have bayonet connectors on them now? Because the first generation, I think, were just the um, Edison the sort of screw-in screw bulbs. In ones, yeah. And uh, yes, they, they do uh, cover our New Zealand scenarios now. I actually don't think that is a big problem, even if they're only... And I might have this completely wrong, but I'm sure... When I originally, and it wasn't the Hughes I was looking at, I was looking at a different style of bulb that you could, from uh, an electrical place, actually get a converter that it's, I can't, and I don't quote me this, I can't remember if it was the Edison, the bayonet to the screw type or vice versa, but there was actually a way you could convert them. Um, and now it's, it is much better that it, the bulb, it is directly on the bulb, but you can, if you do have bulbs that are the wrong way, you can actually change them over, as I understand. Yeah. Not an electrician though, so. And I don't know whether those are legal. Or, yeah, yeah, or, don't. Because sometimes you get these uh, dodgy uh, imported bit, bits and pieces of electric stuff that aren't actually certified for use, use in New Zealand, but you can get your hands on them. So you've got to be a little bit cautious around that. Uh, but yeah, that uh, that looks quite good. And the, the, uh, the feedback... Uh, from those who, and I've spent a little bit of time playing around with this stuff but not a not a huge amount just yet uh, but the feedback is the new version of the hue app that that came out um, in the last in the last few months uh, is a whole lot better simpler and, and easier to use and control control you know blocks of, of lights at, at once uh, very easily Um so if you had a look at Generation 1 and you were unimpressed, you may find that this uh, this new generation 
um, is better. Also, some of the bulbs are, uh, are brighter. Uh, you've got a um, LED LED lighting strip, so you can actually cut down to size if you want, you know, particular lengths and so on. So, people use those for, I mean, lighting under shelves, for putting them into maybe kitchen pantry, those sorts of things where those those pieces can be useful. Whether you necessarily need an app to control in all those scenarios, maybe not. Uh, and you certainly pay a, a, a bit of a premium for the Philips Hue stuff uh, compared to uh, just plain uh, dumb. Uh, lights, but the the controllability is really cool, and yeah, you know, you've got millions of colours you can uh, you can you can choose from, or, or so they tell us. Um, so yeah, it's uh, it's kind of neat. Just looking at their app, they've got some because I've got a very basic. I haven't got the, the Philips Hue bulbs. I've got some um, other ones that the are limitless. The ones limitless that ones. Like, yeah, yeah that, they're one of the guys well. of Geekzone selling. But looking at this app, it's got a really cool feature where. You can set it to turn the lights off when you're leaving, but only after sunset. That's pretty cool. Because, for example, the ones I've got, I've got a little bit of middleware that sits there that um, at sunset, it's very basic, 15 minutes before sunset, it flicks all the lights on. That's as far as it does. Um, but that's really cool. And the fact you can just do it from an app makes it super simple if you're not technical at all. Yeah. Now, I think you... Yeah, there's quite a bit you can do with it. I haven't got through all... All the possibilities, but what it does have is you've got a little hub that basically controls the lights right. within your home, and that sits on your Wi-Fi network. So and it's that, like a that, yeah, that sits yep. on your on your local network. Then you can um, you, you're you're away from there. Do you um, know the ranges on those? No, no, I don't actually. Because I, I have read um, up about people who especially live in um, big houses, and since I live in central Auckland, and the house prices here are, are terrible, I'm in a really small place, so I don't have any issues with range. But yeah, I wonder what the, if you had quite a big house, like a two-story house, I wondered if you'd need to have a couple of them dotted around the place or, yeah, it'd be interesting to see what the, the broadcast range is of them. Yeah, um, yeah, I haven't haven't heard about that, but I imagine in some scenarios and certainly if you're using uh, in a commercial environment, you might run into uh, into a limitation or, or two there. So, uh, yeah. Uh, but basically the light the lights connect back to your... Um, that hub or that sort of base base point, and that's where all the control comes from. And uh, then you you know go away and uh, run your run your apps and your um, your other external automations. So yeah, quite uh, good. If you have been thinking about the Philips Hue bulbs, I'd, I would recommend it is a good step or a good sort of baby step to getting into um, automation. Even if you just get one bulb, um, that's sort of how I started off. And then I've got a lot more stuff sort of ticking around. But at least if you've got one. Even the basics of being able to flick that light on um, as you're heading home or any of those other scenarios, just it's a, a good little baby step. And then I think you sort of find you sort of get a bit of addicted to the automation game and then you start thinking, oh, what else can I automate? Because um, I've seen all sorts of crazy ones where people actually create little um, little drives and hook them into their blinds. And so that the blinds open and close um, as part of a schedule. And that's just crazy. So, yeah, I well, think it's I think a good, what good got, little What we've baby got step. at the moment or you know, what's been available to date has usually been um, reasonably expensive or proprietary or both. I think where we're heading is we'll see, um, we'll see things get a lot simpler. So, for instance, the Philips Hue now can, um, can link into uh, Apple HomeKit. Mm-hmm. And so you've got, you know, you've got, um, I mean, that's just an example from, from the Apple perspective. And, you know, it also supports some of the other standards. Uh, maybe it's Zigbee as a method of communication but you know basically i think we'll see these things come down to much more commodity type prices and there will be uh you know quite standardized and easy ways to uh, to control them it's probably a little bit like those are wanting to play with um you know autonomous vehicles at the moment and robotics that's not generally a mainstream thing i think you know there's a big difference in price between a a standard light bulb that uh, you know you you pick up at the supermarket, and what you know the, the Philips Hue and so on um, cost to get to get yourself up and running. But it's not it's not a it's not a huge cost, so it's reasonably easy to get into to get that uh, uh, that little hub and then uh, you know a light a light bulb or two to uh, to get underway. But yeah, I really think we will see this be at, at, at very much commodity type prices. Uh, in, in the next few uh, next few years, if the interest there, but you know, I think we're sort of moving to this this world with the Internet of Things, where 
that's just the norm. Pretty much everything connects up, and it uh, yeah, it's becoming very low cost to add these connectivity features into uh, into anything, particularly something that's already got uh, electricity running through it. Now, another thing that I wanted to chat about is Norton's VPN. Now, Bill Bennett actually did a uh, a review on this, and this is a an app that Semantic are selling through their Norton brand. So, being Norton, that means it's um, it's targeting the consumer market rather than being something that's um, business focused. And the um, the app is called Norton Wi-Fi Privacy. Um, so I had the um, um, the chap in from um, from Norton, and we had a good sort of discussion around uh, this last last week. There's a there were a, was a few minute chat, and I thought rather than actually broadcast the chat I had with him, you and I might ch- uh, chat about it, Nate. Um, so they've got a, an app that you can fire up on your Android or iOS device. It's a free app, uh, but then you pay an annual subscription, which is New Zealand forty five dollars a year, mm-hmm. uh, which is probably pretty typical for uh, for any sort of uh, VPN type service. And the nice thing about it is you you set it up, and once you turn it on. Basically, your VPN then will, will will just run. They don't have a point of presence in New Zealand. Their closest one is in uh, is in Sydney. So then all your Wi-Fi traffic is going uh, via Sydney. You can actually choose other locations as well. But it gives you that privacy if you're on, particularly if you're on a free Wi-Fi, or you know, you never know with Wi-Fi whether someone's snooping on what you what you're doing over that connection. Um, so in terms of giving you that. Uh, increased level of of privacy and peace of mind around what you're doing um i think this is pretty cool makes uh, makes a fair bit of sense have you used any vpns yourself, yeah so Nate? we we've got a uh just the the way our clients and everything work we, we tend to lock down access to all servers and everything for clients from our main gateway um from our office so it, it, let's say if i'm working from a cafe somewhere i'll need to vpn back to work to route traffic out so that um, I can get into the files and, and all sorts of things. I, I think if you are sitting um, on a cafe Wi-Fi, and, and this is a, a scenario that does come close to me because we run fri- free Wi-Fi at the cafe that I've got. Um, I did. Uh, I think it was a couple of years ago, I had a discussion with a guy on Twitter who said that we should lock down our Wi-Fi so there is a password on it. But the, the thing with doing that is anyone who's got the password is then able to sniff the traffic that's going across it. So... Um, as a sort of point of habit now, if I'm sitting on a cafe Wi-Fi anywhere, I will always VPN back to the office and route all my traffic out that way. It just stops, just in case someone's sitting there because the if they intercepted, for example, my Twitter password, I've got a, my Twitter handle is just at Nate and it's, I get a lot of people trying to, to guess the password and that sort of stuff. If someone was to, to get into that, then it's sort of game over for me and I've, I've lost access to that because I could quite easily log in and, and change the password over. So I think as a, Tell us how to hack you, Nate. <laughs> no, I'm not. Um, but as, as a, a security thing, I, I think if you sort of are using free Wi-Fi and anywhere, um, especially if you, you know, in the States, um, as you would know, Paul, you go to, you know, your local Applebee's or Dairy Queen or even gas stations, everyone has free Wi-Fi over there. Like it's, it's so standard, it's crazy. Um, if you are using it, you need to be using a VPN and at least this little Norton client, it makes it super easy that if you aren't incredibly technical, Install the app, click it, turn it on, and then at least you guarantee that your traffic has got a nice secure link between um, them and your phone, and the, the likelihood, well, and no one's going to be able to intercept the the traffic that's sitting there. So, yeah, I think it's a good idea. Yep, and forty five bucks really is for peace of mind per year. It's forty five bucks a month; it'd be pretty expensive, but forty five for a year, I think it's a small investment. Yeah. Now there was there was something that I found quite curious about uh, this one, which is. If you go in and have a look at what server that it's actually connecting to, uh, it's connecting to Surf e- a, a server um, at SurfEasy, which I thought, this is very interesting. I've heard of SurfEasy before. Um, they're a company that was bought out by Opera, uh, who make the Opera browser, and who announced they were going to be offering VPN uh, for free inside the Opera browser. Um, so that that was, um, you know, I think probably about March that we heard of this timing that the surf easy capability would just be a standard uh, feature within uh, opera and i think the uh, the developer builds around that time was was when it uh, first became available for uh, for people to play around with and start using 
Um, so I thought that that was that was curious, and what it highlights is in this case, I guess that. Um, Semantic aren't maybe doing this entirely on their own, which was, mm. was my impression of they're launching a product that this is this is their thing that they've secured from end to end. Uh, but you know, Surf Easy it does seem to be a, a respected brand. Um, but you know, in, in an ideal world, it, it would be good if you knew Semantic had looked after this from end to end. Um, although with some of the coverage that's been around um, Semantic having a few uh, security holes uh, recently, that's come up in the in the last uh, last few days. Um, some people might not be quite so confident, but they are a, they are a company that is a security company. They focus on security, um, but they have got pull, pulled up on a on a few of their own uh, few of their own shortcomings uh, in the last few days. But I would think if you take the Surf Easy um, service and then hopefully they've wrapped around some good extra checking around how that's configured and how that operates, um, that this should be pretty good. But as you say, it's um, it's a reasonable price to pay to uh, to get. To get access to uh, to a to a VPN, and from a usage perspective, it's very easy. You just you, you fire up the app, you turn it on, and then it will automatically uh, operate as it needs to. It does have a bit of an overhead, so it will slow down your connection a little bit. Uh, I What's tried, it like on your battery? Do you know? Um, I have haven't noticed. I mean, there is a bit of work to do to run a run a VPN, and that's probably why the internet connectivity is a bit slower. Uh, I found here at the office where I get in the direction of 200, 200. Uh, you know, up and up and down uh, over Wi-Fi. Uh, that it was, you know, it was less than half of that. It was sort of probably um, um, half to a, a third of the uh, the normal speed. But you know, when you're on a fast connection, it doesn't. It's not uh, too bad. It, it doesn't really matter. On a on a slower connection, there won't be as much of an overhead. Uh, there shouldn't be. It shouldn't be as much of um, um, a bite that it takes out of it. So. Um, yeah, that's something you have to weigh up if you are needing to move a lot of traffic uh, over over such a VPN. Would you look at um, Would you look at running that sort of client if you were just using mobile data? You probably wouldn't need to. Would no, you? it's more. It's more. It's just focused on. on shared. It's focused on Wi-Fi and the fact that the the app is n- is named accordingly as well. So oh, so yeah. it won't actually work so, over mobile data. So I don't think by default that it would turn on on your mobile uh, connection. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it's gonna it's gonna fire up when you're uh, um, when you're on Wi-Fi basically. So it's called Norton Wi-Fi Privacy, and and it's you know it's that focus of the. The risks around uh, the the Wi-Fi connection, where uh, others can be listening into what you're doing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and it's pretty much there's just a button in there, which is an in on off button, is the you know is the main thing. Now there are a few other things, so you can set your uh, you can set your region. So if you maybe wanted it to appear as though you're in the UK or the US, uh, which some people might do for accessing certain content, uh, it might be able to might be able to help you with that. I'm not sure it solves uh, Netflix's issues. They seem to be pretty smart at uh, at figuring things out. There is also ad tracker blocking in there, which you can turn on and on and off as well. Um, yeah, but very 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 simple, and you know I think um, uh, a reasonable price for someone uh, non technical just to be able to install this, set it up, and not have to uh, not have to think about it. Just turn it on and off. Or leave it running, which is would probably be the the set and forget approach that most people I think yeah, would uh, uh, would would take and and would be appropriate. Um, now, last week we heard the sad news around the first autonomous car fatality, and this was um, Joshua Brown in Ohio. Um, was in his uh, Tesla Model S uh, with the autopilot mode turned on. Uh, now, of course, at the moment, uh, Tesla, uh, you know, basically say that you should have your hands on the wheel when you're in autopilot mode. Uh, they're, you know, they're reasonably cautious about it. It's a, it's a reasonably early uh, um, capability, and they. Uh, but what what they've said is in in this situation um, where this uh, uh, chap uh, went through um, windscreen and the and through his windshield um, and he hit the bottom of a truck truck uh, trailer unit um, that had um, basically driven driven out into uh, uh, in front of him so. Yeah, it's a bit of a bit of a sad one, but um, neither he nor the autopilot um, 
were able to uh, see and respond um, to the um, the side, the white side of this, um, what was a, a tractor trailer um, against the um, the bright sky, which was was interesting. What are your thoughts on this, Nate? Um, well, you know, obviously Elon Musk tweeted quite quickly about his condolences for it, and mm. he and he said about how. It was a first known fatality that they've had over 130 million miles where autopilots running and then worldwide um, there's actually half of that, 60 million miles, there's a, there's a fatality that occurs. Um, I, I, I think, because I always say, with the, I know with the autopilot there, there is a feature where I think every minute it, it shakes the steering wheel if you don't touch it. So there is, because people put on YouTube videos of, there was one that just came up uh, last week where it shows a couple that are demonstrating autopilot and they, for example, they once stage they're having a snooze then they're playing cards then they're eating dinner blah 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 blah. and i remember reading one of the commenters said this video isn't completely truthful because you think that's happened one after the other but what's have what's had to have happened for the autopilot to stay on is they've had to have quickly filmed it and then he's had to put his hands back on the steering wheel because if it doesn't feel that um, feedback i think from memory it alerts the driver and then what it'll actually do is it'll actually start to slow the car down and try and pull over so um yeah i think it was just a it was a bit of a perfect storm I think um, from reading the report, it said that the the back of the truck was a very light color or white color. Um, he didn't notice it just the way it was laid out, and the, the sun was coming towards, or it was a bit of sunstrike. So it was a bit of a perfect storm of things. And I know that the testers report back. Um, you know, whenever there's an accident or whatever, Elon Musk often comes out and, and says, "Hey, look, what the news report says happened is actually quite different from the stats that we've we've had from the vehicle." So. Um, I haven't seen any stats of exactly what's happened, but uh, yeah, I think it was just a bit of a perfect storm of things, and and uh, hopefully this is a something that Tesla can look at, find out what what had happened, and if it was the fault of the car, they can they can fix it. But legality-wise, I don't. What happens there? Is it the driver's fault? Or well, I think it? I think it. I think it, the driver has to take responsibility at this stage because the driver is supposed to keep their hands on the wheel. Yeah. Um, but you know, as you've highlighted, the the stats. At this stage, uh, that you are safer, um, you know, based on current stats, behind the the wheel of a vehicle that's being autopiloted um, than one that's not. And you know, I think that's the key thing for me is that you know already. And I mean, this is very hard to tell because there's only um, you know one death is, is is too many if it's the uh, if it's the the technology's fault. But um, you know, we're still. I would say, you know, if these stats keep up, um, we're still safer off in an autopiloted um, or mm. an autonomous vehicle than what we are um, in a normal uh, normal scenario. Now, on and off motorway. I mean, you could probably slice and dice these numbers different ways, and you could maybe slice and dice them in such a way that says actually, uh, in these scenarios, you are you are not as as safe in an autonomous vehicle. You know, I don't know without all all those numbers, but I um, I would imagine maybe you are normally safer on a on a motorway anyway, which is where the autopilot operates, mm. um, than you would be maybe in some other scenarios. Of course, you know, speed maybe plays a factor in and and messes that up. But there's a potential um, that the way that Tesla and the uh, in the blog post have um, have put it have sort of spun it in a way that. Uh, you know, maybe looks a little bit better than it is. I, I don't know. I'd be I'd be curious for some feedback on that if anyone's got any uh, any thoughts and knows a little bit more about the stats. But you know, my impression is, hey, this this is kind of a version one of the technology. These things are going to improve. We're going to add in there sort of vehicle to vehicle communications and um, a lot of other layers and a lot of other experiences as, as more time is spent. Um, on the road by autonomous vehicles that will uh, will, will uh, help and improve the uh, the safety factors. What if you could extend this out? Uh, you know how we're talking about the next sort of level of, of these this sort of smart autopilot as that whole summon feature, the, the being able to to go somewhere and then have the vehicle return home, and and then at the end of your um, timeout, you can then summon the vehicle and then it comes back to you. I wonder what happened. Wonder what will happen in that scenario when, let's say, if you summon a vehicle and there's a, a malfunction or an issue where someone gets hurt with your vehicle coming back to see you. That's, I think it's going to be a huge grey area because you're not there. 
but it's your car sort of thing. So is it, is it going to be your, um, is it, are you at fault? It's, I, I think, I think the times that are coming up are going to be very interesting for this, um, this sort of technology. And I think the other exciting thing for me will be, I think it's going to be crazy when you get to the stage where people will say to you, what was it like driving cars? Because everything will be autonomous. And, and so people who drive, who continue to drive cars or decide that they, they're not comfortable with that and then want to continue driving will be sort of the, the, um, the exception, not the, the rule. Exciting times. I like this technology, so I can't wait to, I can't wait to have a, a feature where you can go somewhere, send the car home, so you're not paying sixty or eighty dollars a night for parking in a lovely Auckland city, and then vice versa. As soon as you finish, you can step out onto the curb, push someone, and your vehicle comes back. I've, I've, I'm very excited. Doesn't it mean? And I know you, you know, you, you, um, you're a shareholder in a business that um, that helps procure cars for yes. uh, for, for large organisations. That's the one, um, and uh, which is quite an interesting business. Have we talked about it on the podcast before? No, it's quite no. cool. We, we should have a chat about that. Um, but, but um, so you know, you probably slight, you might be slightly skewed on this. I don't know. Um, but the way I would see it is, as we get into this world of autonomous vehicles, um, that we will very quickly move. At, as a, a number of people, are, you know, already are with the likes of Uber and so on, move away from needing to own our own vehicles. So rather than, well, I don't need this car here; it's cheaper to drive home than it is to park. Um, you know, you would actually just be paying for the use of the car for the time slots of the day that you need need the vehicle. So, so that you, yeah, whole sharing economy that's yeah, becoming more common. I mean, it just it just yeah, yeah. It, it seems to make a you know make a whole whole lot of sense. And yeah, we get used to we might leave certain bits and pieces in our. Uh, in our vehicle it's like oh yeah well you know keep my gym gear in the boot bits you know bits and pieces or I don't know summer you've got your uh, your uh, swimming gear and so on but um, so you know there are some things that we get used to like that but um, I, w- I would tend to think when you think about the percentage of a you know of a 24-hour day that we actually spend driving the need to own a vehicle full-time you know that that picture yeah. changes when you could slice it up and just pay for whether it's a quarter or a tenth of a you know normal uh, day that you use it and um, yeah I'd say that that's going to be very economic and it's such a big percentage of the cost when you pay for say an Uber uh, is for the driver so you take that out of the equation it's I think it's going to look it's going to look pretty good. We're already seeing um, yeah so I am a share, I'm a shareholder in a. a f- uh, I suppose the technical name is a fleet procurement company, but we're already seeing, um, we're doing some work with a couple of big companies at the moment where um, they're moving to that shared fleet model. So I think it's sort of an interim step before you get to that whole autonomy part, which is whereas instead of um, representatives from Auckland going to Christchurch and then catching a cab and then ha- or having to hire a car for the day, we're talking about in each of their main locations where the, this organisation is based, they've got a set of shared pool cars. Um, and then it, coupled in with a really good booking system, um, they can book a vehicle, go and use it for the day, drop it back, and then it, it saves on, on taxi fares. And also um, there's always people in different areas of the country so they can move around and, and swap and blah, 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 blah. So we are seeing some really good savings by utilising a that sort of shared um, uh, fleet model. Mm. Um, now we're going to, I think we've got a, um, a topic to do with robots uh, coming up. Um or maybe that was last week. Let me have a look. Anyway, I I was at um, the airport, Auckland Airport, um, and Christchurch Airport over the weekend, and I was sort of standing there as we were waiting for an Uber to uh, to come and uh, pick us up and uh, and very ferry, naughty f- ferry us home. At least it wasn't Wellington. No, you're allowed to do that in Auckland. I remember reading a report because I called an Uber from Wellington the other week, and the CEO of uh, was it Infratel or might be Wellington Airport said that. Uh, he was so against Uber or something along the lines that he was going to personally trespass any Uber drivers that he caught. So you're lucky you weren't going to Wellington because you could have got your Uber guy in trouble. Well, in um, in Christchurch, if you use the Uber app from inside the airport, uh, this was my experience a few weeks ago, it just gives you a, a random error that does not explain that there's an issue. Mm. But the issue is is that... They're not they, paying the, the pickup fee. They, they have, they've sort of you know not managed to cut a deal with the airport authority, which in Auckland they have done, and there is an arrangement that comes into place, I think, in the next in the next few weeks, and there will be a... There's a fee for drop-off and for pickup at the airport. Uh, but in Christchurch, the um, the local airport authority are after, you know, I think a much bigger fee than, than what they're asking in Auckland. Mm. Uh, so there is no agreement. 
and uh, rather than just sort of you know flaunt things, they've um, they've just made it so you get this random error. So I spent a few minutes trying to work out what was going on, tweeting Uber, trying to get a response. Like, uh, we can't tell you why, but there is an error. I mean, it, it didn't take me too it didn't take me too long just to jump in a cab. Um, but the the other option is you can walk yeah, a few hundred meters down down the road. Yeah. And so I, I caught a cab. Someone told me it was two or three times the price of what uh, uh, what the Uber would have cost for the uh, for the same journey. Hmm. So I thought, oh, that that, that was kind of uh, kind of curious. But it would have been, I, th- I thought it was very poor on Uber's part uh, that their app would just give you a random error without just saying, look, we're, n- we're at currently not offering pickups within this within this area. Yeah. Um, because it makes them look it makes them look bad. Yeah. Um, and you know they could just say, yeah, they they could give you more rather than error one two three four or whatever whatever it was that came up, which was uh, you know I thought oh well maybe I'll try again in a couple of minutes and it'll be fine, but certainly wasn't work. the case. Yeah. I yeah. know with when I flew through to Wellington, uh, there's that trick that everyone does, and it's common knowledge. So I'm not leading any cats out of the bags here, um, which is where you you walk out of the the terminal and then you toddle across to the I think it's a Z, uh, Z fuel station uh, with a B, uh, sorry, BP with a um, Burger King in it, um, so you can get picked up from there. And the, the Uber guy was telling me that Uber wasn't happy to pay the. F- he told me there was a five dollar pickup toll fare, whatever you want to call it, and Uber wasn't prepared to do that. So he was getting it very often that people would tottle across to that. And I've also done it in LA as well, where, um, but the trick there is you catch there's a, a parking garage, and you catch the the bus to go to the parking garage, and there's a an In and Out burger. I don't know if you've had In and Out, but it's an amazing burger. So I, I know I know that particular In and Out. Yeah. In so what you do burger. is you catch the the garage bus to the garage. You obviously have a part there. You walk down. You go and get an In and Out burger. And while you're munching down on that, you order an Uber from there. So that's sort of. <laughs> I, See, I, that, that's a that's a bit of silliness if you ask me. And I think Uber have come to arrangements in San Francisco and you know lots of places around. I, I know the world when we were up in, in Seattle, uh, middle of last year, the front page news was the fact that uh, SeaTac, which is their main airport, um, was in negotiations to. They thought it was ridiculous as well, so they're in negotiations with Uber. So because you can get dropped off by Uber because it it just looks like. You know, someone dropping you off. There's, there's no problems with that. It's the pickup that is the, is the problem. Yes. So, do you want yeah. to talk about the Uber? Oh, well, the, oh, the other bit I was going to say was, um, so standing there wait, waiting for, waiting for my Uber before we got uh, sidetracked was I stood there and I envisaged what that, you know, humming sort of airport area would look like in the future when we've got autonomous vehicles that are picking us up. Mm. Uh, when robotics have moved along and you know I think it was, must have been last week we were talking um, around what's happening with some of these new robots and I think uh, the, the robot technology will move along in the same way if we look back 10 years we were just starting to see um, you know the first really good really easy to use sort of mass appeal smartphones coming through obviously there were smartphones before that time uh, but you know it was around the time the iPhone came out um, that that smartphones really sort of took off in a you know in a much in a much bigger way, and since that time we've seen the price just collapse. Where you know you can get that uh, fifty dollar or hundred dollar uh, smartphone if you want to have a smartphone, but don't, you know don't want to drop down lots of cash, and of course much much better capabilities at the at the top end in the thousand to fifteen hundred dollar range. And you know I think we'll see a similar thing over the next ten years in terms of uh, robotics. And I'm, I'm just sort of curious how all of those things are, are going to work because there's a lot of uh, manual labor and things that lifting and, and so on that happens within, uh, within those sorts of environments and obviously a, a lot of vehicles coming and going. And I was trying to picture what might that airport look like in, in say, 10 years, maybe, maybe it's 15, uh, but, but where there's, uh, there's just uh, so much uh, robotic and autonomous uh, technology uh, around us, and uh, you know, I would uh, I would imagine uh, a very a very different environment. They're going to have a lot of work to do, I, I suppose, with making changes for those environments to work to be that good mix between sort of uh, um, you know people and uh, and technology. In the same way, you know, you walk into the terminal now, and uh, you don't walk up to the counter to uh, to check in. You walk up to a um, you know, terminal, a, a machine, and it, it fires out some. 
some you know slips to uh, or some uh, tags to attach to your luggage and and whatnot. You know that that is a uh, a robot of of sorts taking care of those functions rather than the person that used to be there. And we'll just see more and more of that uh, in in different areas across the airport. You know, will they still have somebody standing next to the conveyor belt where your luggage goes? Will that be a robot that you interact with on a voice basis? Uh, will a robot come up and grab your luggage off you um, and put the tags on it for you? I, I don't know what that's going to look like, um, but I'm, I'm, I'm pretty convinced that it's going to be quite different in 10 to 15 years of how, how it is now. Uh, on a geeky note, do you know the Air New Zealand terminals, well, the ones in Auckland anyway, run Windows XP? I kid you not. We When we went through, one of the machines had jammed or something or other and was going through its reboot process and unless someone is very dedicated to the cause and it's a Windows 7 or Windows 10 machine they'll change the loading image which I don't think they have Unlikely. they're still on uh, Windows XP which is quite surprising considering that's been end of life for quite a while now old school technology eh? yeah well yeah yeah um, yeah, so a couple couple more uh, topics this week as far as uh, autonomous uh, vehicles go as well um, so BMW have um, have just announced that they will, by 2021, have their um, autonomous vehicles on the road. So, you know, this is really a lean to the, the fully autonomous uh, vehicle. And, of course, you know, there's Tesla, um, Mercedes and, and others that have, um, you know, that have varying levels of technology as far as uh, autonomous vehicles today. Uh, but they've made that announcement that they will be um, they'll be a you know a complete player in the market within uh, within uh, five years. Uh, but they've also highlighted who they're uh, partnering with to achieve that. Uh, so they've got Intel coming on board, um, and then Mobileye who have uh, technology around computer vision and and uh, and sensing. So they're very much doing a, a you know a partnership type of approach, and it's going to be I think quite fascinating to see. How this uh, how this develops? So yeah, rather uh, rather rather curious, and it's moving along reasonably quickly. So uh, they're they're certainly going to have a bunch of technology that people will be able to start uh, start looking at. Um, I think you know, even even next year uh, from uh, uh, this this partnership that uh, BMW, Intel, and uh, Mobile Eye. Are working on, and I think we'll see a you know a bunch of standards emerge here. Same way in our our mobile platforms, we've got just a small number of players that are providing the key pieces to the puzzle, and in, in terms of you know iOS, Android, um, and you know we've had BlackBerry in the past, and um, uh, you know Microsoft playing playing their part with uh, um, with Windows. So yeah, it just. Uh, it doesn't. It's not really going to stop, is it? The next few years, we're going to get more and more uh, news and uh, and products coming through on this basis. Very cool stuff. Um, and oh, what one one more? Um, and I'm never sure on the pronunciation. Um, is it Baidu, the um, big Baidu, search engine yeah. in uh, in China? Uh, so they have announced the um, what they're working on in terms of uh, autonomous vehicles as well and it will be uh, 2021 for them as well um, at that stage they will uh, they're saying they will uh, have mass produced uh, driverless uh, vehicles on the road also um, so you know I think we're we should expect to see quite a bit within uh, within that uh, that five year. Uh, time frame if if all things sort of start falling into place and the likes of Tesla and others don't uh, don't see a whole lot of uh, of accidents sort of wrecking up uh, you know messing up the stats then um, you know we'll probably see uh, um, lots and lots of choices across quite a broad range of um, of car manufacturers and in fact any car manufacturers that don't come to the market uh, with this stuff in a sufficient time um, probably won't have too much of a future but I guess the market as a whole, uh, has has quite an unknown future, really, doesn't it? If we move to this model of car sharing and the same thing uh, happens around the world, um, there there there's a bit of unknown in terms of how many vehicles, I guess, would uh, would sell. Um, although we do have some cities around the world that are really growing at, at rapid rates, and we you know we look at China's population as they get wealthier, uh, you know people will be moving more from 
um, things like bicycles and and so on to um, to using a lot more in terms of uh, car transport, I imagine. Mm. Um, okay, now there was a story that um, the Herald published actually around um, brain scanning technology helping in solving crimes. Did you read this, Nate? Yeah, so it was talking about how um, in the too long didn't read version is pretty much they can show someone a whole lot of sort of triggers and um, they've got a sensor sort of tied into your head and then basically different things will get triggered and then they it sort of gives them a bit of a picture about what's going on inside your noggin. Um, the, me- the big thing that got me was that they can they can show you something and they can tell whether you had previous knowledge to it or not. Yeah. So whether you've got a memory of that or not. And so if they maybe put information in front of you around a particular crime that nobody else would likely know other than you know somebody within the police or the perpetrator, uh, that could give them some pretty unique uh, you know, differential around whether whether you know you're you're the uh, you're the person that they've been looking for or not i like how they call it the the technology uh, the shortened version is eeg is it electroencephalography try and say that 10 times fast yeah well i mean eeg i think is that's technology that's been you know been around um you're very smart not saying the full word just for, for, <laughs> for, for some time um, I refuse to try and pronounce it. Fair enough. Um, people can can laugh at me for uh, for cheating, um, but they might laugh more if I try try and pronounce it. Um, you know, I think that's te- that's you know this this is um, you know existing technology, but they're, they're utilising uh, that and then measuring those um, those brainwave uh, responses to to basically be able to tell uh, whether you know whether somebody actually knew this information uh, prior. Or not, and I I think it's it's quite uh, it's quite fascinating, and you know it's one of those other things where we're advancing in science and and technology, um, and but the the future of how we end up using this is somewhat unknown, and it also creates potentially some uh, you know moral type of dilemmas in terms of well is this appropriate way to be using your technology. Could you use it on its own? Um, you know, and and I guess we tend we often tend to see uh, films, movies come along that will maybe highlight some potential downsides of uh, of these technologies or misuses of the technologies. So yeah, they, I mean, you can imagine a few in this in this um, you know scenario where where someone you know gets told something that they shouldn't know and then dropped through this test, um, you know, hard for them not to come up and, uh, and, and have a memory of that. Mm. So, yeah, I don't, I don't know how you, would, uh, how you would control that. But, you know, maybe as, as one of a number of things within, um, you know, within the framework of, of what, what gets used to solve crimes, maybe it would be relevant. Um, but it's just curious seeing these, uh, these new things come through how would you feel about having your um having your brain scan nate to uh, to tell if you had uh, had information already uh wouldn't really have a problem with it as long as it doesn't cause any long-term effects that they're like oh sorry we've potentially wiped out half of your happy memories then probably be a bit annoyed <laughs> but if it can solve but that's all in the past does it matter that's all right that's one just create new ones <laughs> um yes now um Cars and 3D uh, printing. Um, this is one I came across the other the other day. Um, is that there is um, a, a Daihatsu, I believe it is, who I think are um, are either partly or, or fully owned by uh, by Toyota these days. Um, they are experimenting with basically allowing owners of some of their vehicles to personalise the exterior of their vehicle. Um, by 3D printing um, parts to go onto uh, onto their car to actually um, uh, you know tweak and adjust the uh, the look of it, which is is pretty fascinating actually. Um, the, you know the idea that you know you take your stock standard car and then you put these sort of skins on them and 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 different styling 
um, by just firing stuff out of a out of a three D printer. Um, that sounds pretty cool. I always thought, who would bother customizing cars? Like, why would you bother? But even in the the stuff that we've been doing, and this is just a corporate market. There's so much, even not talking about 3D printing, but things like um, bonnet guards and, and different colored wing mirrors and rims and, and, and tinted windows. People like the unique, they like taking a standard car and making it their own by adding all these sort of unique things. So there is actually a huge market for this. And, th- and that's just what we've seen in the very basic things inside the corporate fleets. Well, and then I think you also think of the accident scenario where, oh, that panel needs... Oh, maybe it's just easier to reprint a, you know, reprint that panel rather than, you know, trying to trying to get it all uh, all, uh, you know, reworked if you've dented, you know, dented, well, like or, dented yeah. or damaged a, a part of your car. If you can just reprint that part, and uh, particularly if you could reprint it in, in just the right look and color and 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 style, um, that could well be a low, lower cost, uh, you know, approach than going off to uh, the panel beater. So does that mean that pa- panel beaters will be another industry that disappears by as we move to autonomous vehicles that don't crash uh, as often due to you know human Maybe. error. And, uh, and we can then 3D print out bits and pieces of our cars. Well, I suppose the fascinating thing about a panel beater is they actually do very little beating of panels now. Yes. Um, last time, uh, this was a few years ago, when my car got rear-ended by someone, uh, the guy said they pretty much uh, re-bend the, the brackets that it sits in and order brand new parts and then just make, match the paint. Um, I'm making it obviously very simple, but the, the whole idea of, of taking that dented bumper or that broken bumper and, and banging the dent out as they would in the sort of old days in inverted commas, um, it's just quicker and easier to, to buy brand new and paint it. Easy. Yep, yep. Um, now, back back to uh, Uber, who we mentioned earlier. Um, the Verge is reporting that they're, um, they're soon going to start warning their drivers when the drivers go over the speed limit and they're also doing other bits and pieces with the sensors that are in the phone so the sensor that's in uh, that's in the driver's phone could be detecting driving that is maybe a little bit erratic and I don't know about you but I've had a couple of experiences with um, drivers of the Prius where they they are trying to it's almost sort of a game to see how low they can keep their petrol consumption and so they sometimes sort of can be um, pumping the the accelerator in a in an odd mechanism where they're they're just using gas when when they need to because they're they're watching all the numbers that are up on the display around how um, you know how how little uh, petrol they're using um, that very very irritating if you've got someone driving like that uh, it's probably only only happened a couple of times but very noticeable and uh, yeah I think I've, I figured out that it was um, uh, you know it was trying to uh, approve the efficiency of the vehicle in, in some way um, but yes this this idea that uh, professional drivers actually are able to be monitored by their smartphone sounds as though it's got some uh, some benefit maybe or maybe for everyone else other than the driver who probably doesn't like having big brother looking over their shoulder well even even if it's got the it's that whole thing if if someone's if they think they're being watched their driving's hopefully going to be a lot better um and i think if you tie that sort of driver feedback in with the five star review that if you gave the driver anything less than five stars then it would trigger uber to look at maybe the stats of the the journey i i think it's good i think it's um, one of those things that if you are a good driver and you aren't really rough um, and you're providing a good service to the customer, then you've got really nothing to worry about. So what what does it mean, you know, if we step back away from drivers and we, we look at everybody who does any sort of work at all, are we going to have technology monitoring us in more and more ways as we as we go forward? You know, somebody sitting in a broadcast studio, there's a... There's a uh, an Alexa variant or a Siri variant that's listening to everything they say on air and off air, and if they make a you know a cheeky remark about one of their bosses or a, about the company, uh, if they're not being as efficient and focused on on what they should be, or they get something wrong, you know, is the technology going to be marking us down and docking docking our pay? 
Yeah. <laughs> how bad could could this become? I mean, it seems very easy when we when we point at a field that you know neither of us work in day to day. But if if you know if we were having some some somebody or something that's sitting there watching everything that we're going to do, because none of us are perfect. Uh, well, you might be. Um, you know, we're gonna have we're gonna have shortcomings in uh, in what we do. Is this gonna is this gonna become a nightmare? Um, I don't know, but I have got a bit of a vested interest in this field as well because we've got we've got a shareholding in a GPS tracking company, which um, there's really no employee that likes. But as we've always had with our pitches to business owners, is it allows you to utilize your fleet in the best way. Have you got the right number of cars, or have you got too many cars? Um, and, and I know with one of our particular clients who um, has had it installed, they've got SLA, so service level agreement obligations to a customer of theirs that they will visit this um, so many of this customer's branches um, so many times a month and will be there for a minimum of, say, 45 minutes of visit or, or whatever it is. And by utilizing this GPS technology, they have got the logs to the fact where they can, they can send to their customer a complete digest of where they've been and say to the customer, well, we were there last Wednesday, we were there for an hour, we've ticked all the boxes for our SLA. Um, so I think in that way, you can look at technology as that sort of big brother thing, but you can also use it to help make life easier and actually um, sell these sort of things to your customers um, and help fulfill those contracts. So you then don't have a fleet manager who's then you know, on the Sunday night, last day of the month, trying to desperately work out who they've seen, who they haven't seen, and if their customer is going to be really um, unhappy with them. So I think it's really how the technology is used and you know utilizing it the best way that you can and the right way, isn't it? There? There's going to be right ways to do it. There's going to be wrong ways that are going to leave people offended and with the, unhappy. But if you can always show the benefit to everyone, that's part of that process where where it benefits them. Then exactly that's probably become somewhat somewhat easier to sell. In the in the GPS space, the classic one is that if an owner gets the the GPS technology installed without client without their staff knowing probably the worst way you could implement it because all it takes is a report left somewhere or a whisper of someone or or someone opens up the glove box and sees a couple of different colored cables and goes oh i think our boss is tracking us it is definitely not the thing to install in a convert operation it's something to sell it to your staff as these are the reasons we're doing it um bring them on board and then get installed don't oh we need your cars secretly for a couple of hours on saturday and then expect your staff to be happy because they will be very very unhappy good call Good call. Excellent. Well, thank you for coming on the show again, Nate. That's all right. Not a problem. That's been a good been a good chat. Thank you for uh, for taking the time a little bit earlier than usual to record this week, as I will be uh, on a on a flight heading towards North America, when we would usually be uh, sort of recording or finishing up uh, recording the podcast for the week. Well, that's us for this episode. So um, thank you everyone for listening in. Now, Nate, very easy to track down on Twitter. Best, yeah, probably best way is just on Twitter. So I'm just at Nate, at N-A-T-E. Um, also do a bit of blogging on Geekzone as well. So you find my blog there. Excellent, excellent. And you can track me uh, at Paul Spain on Twitter. You can email me, paul at spain.nz. Um, and, of course, you can find us at podcasts.nz for, uh, for New Zealand Tech Podcast and the, uh, the other uh, podcasts from uh, Podcast New Zealand. Well, that's us for uh, for this week, and uh, we'll look forward to catching up with you on another episode very soon. Uh, in fact, there will be one uh, next week. All right, until then, see you.